your Bible or some device, you'll be looking at the Scriptures with us this morning. We'll be getting um, in Luke 17. Um, we're, we've been in Luke for just shy of a year now. I'm working our way kind of chapter by chapter, which is our typical rhythm here at Redeemer. Um, and, and ultimately, as we kind of recap and get this sermon in this morning started in, in regards to Luke 17, um, remember early in Luke, in, John, or sorry, in Luke 3, John the Baptist, as he comes on the scene as the forerunner before Jesus, and as he comes on the scene, he is dealing with a crowd that be- believed that they belonged to God due to their heritage, right? That they just, they had him because they were Jews. And as he's preaching a message of repentance, right, that they start to go, oh, wait a second, wait a second, we belong to Abraham. And John tells them, listen, if, if God wants to raise up rocks and stumps, right, for you as sons and daughters of Abraham, he can do that. So don't lean on your genetics, right? Don't lean on your ethnicity or your nationality or even your religious culture. What you need is Jesus, right? Like you need the coming kingdom. You need to repent and, and, and then walk in a manner that bears fruit that looks like you've repented, that you've turned to God. And so we even see groups of them, right, saying, what do we do? Like, how do we do this, right? Like, they're responding, realizing they're not living by the kingdom's ethic and expectation, and so they're asking for opportunity to repent and to respond. Church, we live in an area, a part of the country, that, that this is potentially less so if maybe you're 25 or under, it's beginning to shift and to change. But certainly, if you're mid-20s and up, and we just live in a place where people assume faith and they assume Christianity. And they believe they belong to God because they live in a certain place and their family has a certain practice or heritage. And, and people just would say, hey, I belong to Jesus without any measure of repentance, without any measure of obedience, with any fruit that is keeping with repentance. They just kind of claim those things. And then if you press on it, say, no, no, it's private. Don't talk to me about it. And yet what Luke is doing and what Jesus has been teaching is he's saying, listen, there are two clear paths. There's a path that leads to the kingdom, that leads to reconciliation with God, and there's a path that leads to destruction. There's two of them, and you can't walk both of them. You have to walk on one or the other. And that we are being called to repent and to look at Jesus. And what we have to be aware of as, as those who this morning are sitting in church, and listen, I know I don't, I don't begin to presume that just because you're sitting in here, you're claiming Jesus. You may be someone who is wondering and asking about that, right? But as we come this morning, we have to be careful that we don't hear Luke's message, right, as he is giving us Jesus' words, and go, ah, it's, it's neat to consider, right? But that there is a call to repent and to walk in faithfulness on a path that leads us to Jesus because He has done what we could not do and restored right relationship with the Father. This is not merely a question of do we have the right information and can we nod in agreement at the right question and the right answer, but are we walking repentant, believing, obedient lives empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit because we have trusted Jesus? And so in this section of Luke, what we're going to see 
is that he is continuing to compare and to contrast and to draw out, hey, here's what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Right? This is what it looks like. And so would we be honest enough and introspective enough even this morning to ask, do I, do I look like this? Not that your performance is what's going to save you, but are you seeing Jesus draw these things out in you? Are you being equipped and empowered by Him to look more and more like this as you walk with and trust Him? Or do you simply know the right answers and you're doing your own thing, which means you're on a path that's leading away from Jesus, not towards Jesus? And know that the offer to repent is available for all of us this morning. And so let's pick up in Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you have commanded, were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So in these ten verses, we really have kind of some proverbial sounding statements from Jesus that are all meant to kind of draw us to this contrast of, do we look like a disciple? Are we trusting and following Jesus or not? And so it's important for us to note in verse 1 that where he has been speaking in chapter 16 to the Pharisees here in verse 1, it says, and he said to his disciples that he's changed his audience and he is speaking to those who are trusting and following him. And he says, listen, temptations to sin are sure to come. What's he reminding us of? That the church community is not going to be perfect. Right? That there's still going to be opportunity to sin and to struggle. And so we live in this strange already and not yet. That the kingdom of God has come and it has come in power and we're seeing that played out and we also have more to hope for. That the power of sin has been broken and forgiveness of sin is offered, but the presence of sin, of sin still remains. And there will be a day where we are in, right, in the kingdom of God forever, no longer on this earth, but in the new heavens and the new earth, where there will be no more tears, and no more sin, and no more death, and no more disease, and no, right, no more tragedy. That day is coming, and we can hope and long for it, but in the moment, He's telling them, listen, there's still going to be opportunity to sin, to struggle, to fall away. Ultimately, this, this is saying there's going to be an enticement to not believe. There's going to be an enticement to just go back to the other path. This one's too difficult. This one's too hard. And he gives a strong woe, a strong warning to say, the one who does that, 
right? It would be better for them to tie a huge stone, this huge millstone that would have been used to ground um, grain, right? A donkey or an ox walking it around to tie that to your neck and to be thrown into the water, right? Where inevitable death and drowning would occur. He's like, it's better for that than for you to be the one who is trying to lead those who are following me astray. To entice them to unbelief. To tell them that what they're doing is, is foolish and wrong. It's a reminder that we don't live in a perfect community yet. It's a warning to watch out for false teachers. Right? Remember, he has just been speaking to the Pharisees. Very likely the Pharisees are still present and listening. And so as he now begins to speak to his disciples while the Pharisees are in their room, and he says, hey, watch out for those who would lead you astray. It's, it's, kind of, it's a warning even to those still in the room going, hey, you're on the wrong path. You should come back. You should, you should trust me. You should come to me. Because you're going to lead people away from me, not to me. Right? The, the Pharisees at this point are wanting to trap, to kill, to get rid of Jesus. They don't believe that He's leading people to God. When He says little ones, He's not specifically here talking about children. Um, it's really more of like a, an affectionate term for us of, of like tenderness, of care. Um, it, it's reminding that we're in need of protection, of guidance, of care, that we don't have it all figured out, that we need those to be on guard, watching and caring for us and to, and to care for our own souls. He's, he's saying... Like, keep your head on a swivel, right? Like, look around at what's going on in the world around you. Be aware that there will be temptation. Be aware that there will be sin. Be aware that there will be those teachers who will come who will try to lead you away from me. And to, and to say that the path you're on is foolish and wrong. It's a, it's a warning to the disciples to be careful what they teach, that they would not fall into that category of one who is now leading folks astray. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. This is 1 Timothy chapter 4. He's, and he tells them in verse 16, So keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Right? It's the same idea of being on guard. Watch what you're doing. Watch what you're teaching. Make sure it is following me and not walking away from me. It's not using me to gain glory and, and fame for yourself and actually a worldly teaching. So he continues in verse, uh, the second half of verse 3. If your brother sins, rebuke him. What, what, here's what we're going to see. that There's going to be a challenge of life together. right? As, as he is going to call us to live out the one another's of Scriptures, he's going to call us into the church life. He is telling the disciples, people are going to sin against you, not just in the world, not just in trying to tempt you to sin, right? They're going to sin against you in the family, right? And, and many of you are in the room going, yeah, yeah, I know. It, it's happened. And it's happened a lot, and it's potentially happened in really significant ways. And so he is reminding us, right, that there is a close relationship. He says, if your brother sins, he's not talking about a sibling here, but he is talking about that the intimate, close relationships that emerge in the church, the people of God as they are following and trusting Him. And so the word rebuke here is a word that we probably don't use um, in, in your daily life very often. It's not a word you hear 
very often, so I want to make sure and define it. Um, a, a rebuke is, is a warning or a correction, right? And it's meant to stop to, or to keep from beginning an action that is displeasing, right? So it's a warning, it's a correction in order to prevent or to end an action. But what's unique here is that it's meant to be restorative. Right? We see that that's what, what um, Jesus is saying initially, that he says, listen, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repent, repents, forgive him. That The immediate point of the rebuke is to bring restoration and reconciliation of relationship. Okay, so let's talk about rebuke for just a moment. The assumption here is this, is that we have the sort of relationships where we can have that conversation. That there is a familial, family responsibility that we have to one another. That we are not isolated. That we are not doing faith in a private manner. That we are not alone. But that in the pursuit of righteousness, the pursuit of Christ-likeness is done together. That we need one another in order to pursue Jesus um, efficiently, faithfully, obediently. Which means, on a Sunday morning, when we arrive together, we do not arrive as consumers. We arrive as family members. Listen, you can go to the movies and sit side by side by someone you'll never talk to again and consume what's on the screen, take it in, and never even address them, know their name, talk to them. You can do that. That is not what we do here. We do not walk in and consume worship or consume teaching or consume the Word and then walk off to do our own private faith. We are here as brothers and sisters, adopted into the family, made a family by, the king, by, by King Jesus, because He has lived the life that we were meant to. He has died the death that we deserved, and He has beaten our enemies and is resurrected today with power to equip us to do that. Ephesians 2 would tell us that He has torn down the dividing wall that has separated us. And the only thing you need in common with anyone else in this room this morning is not the way you vote, the way you, the way you spend your money, right? It's not your skin color, it's not your ethnicity, it's not your background, it's not your family situation, it's not your current circumstances, it's Jesus. He is all we need in common to be family. The rest of it is preferences. The rest of it is circumstantial. We need Jesus. And so he is saying, listen, in the family of God, you're going to be sinned against because we're still in the presence of sin. It's going to happen. And we need to have this sort of relationship that can allow someone to come up to you and correct you, to remind you, to warn you, and for it not to be fighting words. Listen, if a stranger... I'll just tell you a story. Okay. So, and, and you, may, you may choose to rebuke me after the story. Um, I, as a first-time dad, um, this was, Carson was like a few months old, we'd had a night where she had not slept. And you're, you know those nights where you're just like, you're spent, your wife's spent. And I was on my way, this was before Redeemer existed, I was on my way to church one morning, I had taken Carson with me, and I was, supposed to, I was in charge of getting donuts that morning. I'd left Carmen home to get a little bit of sleep. And Carson fell asleep in this short, like, 10-second drive right to the donut store. And so I pull up right at the door, and I'm looking at her sleeping, and I'm like, oh, no. 
the line through the drive-thru is out into the street. And I've got like a few minutes and there's no one in line inside. And so I'm like debating, like, can I get out of the truck? Like, I'm, I'm like 10 feet away. Can I just walk to the line? And I'll just like be watching her the whole time. Like, should I do this? Should I not do this? Um, I'm sleep deprived. She's torturing us, right? And uh, in the moment, I probably made the wrong decision. But I got out of the truck. And like, I literally like bought donuts like this. Like, I want these. And I'm just watching... And as I walked back out, I, was, I had timed myself because I knew, like, I'm, the whole time I'm feeling like ashamed that I had left my child in the car. Um, and I had been in there for one minute and 41 seconds. And I walk out, and there's a mom. Crosses her arms. Never seen this woman before, never seen her again. And she just berates and shames me. And I'm just like, <sighs> I mean, just like rips into me. And in most situations, I probably would have wanted to fight. In that moment, I'm like, it's, maybe it's deserved. I don't know. And so I call Carmen. Pretty sure I woke her up. And I'm like, like are you going to leave me over this? Because I've just been like shamed in the parking lot. And she's like, not the decision I would have made. But it's okay. Like, you know, we're going to work this out. We'll, we'll save our marriage. Right. We'll be okay. Um, Carson is, you know, still with us, still alive. All right, but in that moment, this woman chose to rebuke me. There was no kindness in the rebuke. Um, there was no grace in the rebuke. There was no, no sense of um, really correction. It was more just like, I'm going to own and destroy you now. And it was not received well on my part because of the lack of kindness, of grace, or relationship. Um, it, did, it did land. It just didn't land well. That is not what Jesus is calling us to. He is not saying, hey, when you see that stranger over there, destroy them. That is not the call to, to destroy, to be unloving, to be unkind. Listen, he says the word brother. Right? If, if this person close to you sins, rebuke him, right? Which is what? A warning, a correction to stop or to not begin an action it is going to be destructive. To, to restore them to right relationship. Listen, rebuke probably feels foreign and uncomfortable. You don't want it, and you don't want to give it. Right? There are a handful of folks who kind of like it. But most of like when I say like it, they like to give it. No one really wants to receive it. Um, but here's the danger this morning. If we remove ourselves, if we isolate ourselves from relationships, so that no one it has the ability to speak into our life, and if they do, they're so far removed from it that we can just throw it out, then we are isolated and we, we risk being walking astray from Jesus. Because we are not perfect. We are sinners who are going to be tempted to sin. That, it goes back to verse 1. That those things are going to happen, and we are looking as the church to link arms and to pursue Jesus together so that when one of us stumbles, there's someone already there to grab them. When someone is weary and tired, there's someone there to encourage, to bring them along. And sometimes that one that's stumbling and weak is you. It's not always someone else. And so we need right life together, to get there together. So, how do we give a rebuke? One, there's relationship 
needed and required. That what we are sharing with someone else is truth from Scripture, not our preference. Right? We can, we can switch those sometimes and go, you are not meeting my preference. Right? I've walked in places and had a hat knocked off my head. Right? Because their preference wasn't being met. There was no conversation. It was just, right, like hat off. That was not, right, a rebuke. That was, those were like fighting words or fighting action. This is truth over preference. It means you give an opportunity for them to speak because you may have misunderstood something. It could be that you saw wrong or, or misheard or misunderstood. And so listen. Right? And it's going in knowing the goal, the hope, the prayer is restoration and reconciliation. It is not to destroy them or to feel superior to them or to humiliate them. And they may not respond in the moment. Like time is involved in this as well. And sometimes it's, it's the rebuke, right? This reminder of what truth is, what Scripture says, that lands and then the Spirit has to massage it in, right? To bring conviction over time. It may not always happen immediately. It has, it can, it doesn't have to. What's our motivation for it? Right? This is one where we have to guard our hearts. It's like, I've been waiting for them to slip up so I could, so I could let them know. Right? That, that's not it. If I'm excited to do it, that's not it. Listen, unfortunately, and, and I say this, like, uh, un, an unfortunate part of my job is having to do this. Um, I don't relish it. I don't look forward to it. I don't want to do it. But it's understanding that the, the awkwardness and the uncomfortability of that moment is, does not outweigh eternal consequence. And so you we're prayerfully spirit-filled, going in, hoping that there would be repentance and that the Word of God would already be working to soften and prepare the heart, that the Spirit would be doing that. Listen to how James writes this. This is in chapter 5. It ends James, verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The image that Scripture gives us is that one is wandering off the path. And that you see it and you're like, ah, that would be awkward. No. And you go and you grab them and you bring them back to the path that is following Jesus. Right? Saving them from certain perilous death. And sometimes it's, it's the rebuke. It is rooted in truth rooted in relationship, and is pointing them back to peace and right relationship. So how do we receive a rebuke if we're not always the one giving it? Ultimately, the word we want to use here is humility. That we would not be so prideful or arrogant as to believe that we cannot be wrong about them. Now listen, we have to consider the source, Right? We have to consider the, what they're saying and, and do they bring Scripture? Is, is there truth to it? But Psalm 139 is there already is the prayer of like, God, search me and try me and know me. Is there any way that's displeasing to you? Like that's a prayer we should be asking 
the Lord all the time. My Spirit, show me, illuminate sin or things that are displeasing to you in me that I could root them out. But if not, how would others see it? So they, they, if I have a blind spot, that they could reveal it. And so I tell all three of our kids all the time, my prayer for you is that you would not be able to get away with sin. That it would be found out. Not because I want to shame you, not because I want you to be ostracized or destroyed, but because the worst thing for you is to believe you can get away with it. If you believe that you can do it and hide and no one will know, is a spiritually damning situation. So the Spirit often illuminates it through His Word, through His actions, but sometimes He uses a person. So would we be humble enough to receive it, to take it, to chew on it, to consider it? Listen, you want um, practicalities? Read Proverbs, right? Proverbs has a myriad in chapter 10, in chapter 12, in chapter 13, in chapter 15, in chapter 25, in chapter 26, in chapter 1. All of this practical interaction of how to receive and to give and to respond to rebuke. It's all about wisdom. And ultimately, you could boil it down to this, that a wise person embraces rebuke and enhances life. And a fool ignores it. So I just want to read a couple to you. From Psalm, or sorry, from Proverbs 15. Listen to verse 5. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof, whoever heeds rebuke, is prudent. Go down to, but also in chapter 15, um, in verse 31. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. He who listens to reproof gains intelligence. If we go back to chapter 10, uh, verse 17. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof, rebuke, leads others astray. And then one other. This is Proverbs 27. Verse 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Reminding us that sometimes the most loving, faithful thing a friend can do is wound that the intent and the motivation of it matter? Is it meant to restore, to reconcile, to, to get you on the, to make sure that you're not astray from the path? Right? It's not, this is not Jesus saying, hey, guess what? You get to be jerks. This is him saying, sometimes a wound from a friend is the most loving thing that can happen. But it means we have to be friends, we have to be brothers and sisters. And I want to remind us, this is from Revelation. Not where you anticipating us going here. Chapter 3, verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. We see it in Hebrews 12 as well, that God tells us that He disciplines His children. And so whether it is the Spirit of God this morning that is bringing rebuke 
and correction in your life or whether He is using the instrument of another brother or sister in Christ, that we would be humble to consider it, to receive it, and to respond to it. Realizing our pride right, goes before the fall. Our arrogance will destroy us. And then notice this. So if your brother sins, in verse 3, rebuke him. If he repents, right, if he turns from it, if he owns it, if he confesses it, forgive him. So you walk into a rebuke with forgiveness is just like, I'm ready to just dump it out on you. I'm not looking to hold it over you. I'm not looking to control you. I'm not looking to make you pay or to punish you. I am looking to freely give grace and forgiveness. And then Jesus almost anticipates the question here. And He says, well, what if they do it again? He says, as long as they continue to repent, you continue to forgive. You give it freely. It's costly. It costs us something. But it is a reminder for us when it costs us to forgive someone, it reminds us that it was costly for Jesus to offer forgiveness. It's an opportunity for worship and response to Him. Listen, this doesn't mean that we restore the relationship exactly to where it was, that we trust them exactly the same way, that there may not even be some consequences that have to happen, but that we are glad to offer forgiveness where we can to restore relationship over and over and over again. That the church should be known for ready and quick forgiveness. Now, knowing the difficulty of that is you're already having situations in your mind that you're like, I don't know. Verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Right? They're basically saying, okay, then we need more faith if we're going to do that. And, and Jesus responds to them by saying, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, right, minuscule, tiny, you could say to a mulberry tree, which was known for its expansive root system, you ever tried to pull something up with a lot of roots that go everywhere? It's not easy to do. It looks simple, and it's not. He says, then you could say to that mulberry tree, go be planted in the ocean. What he is talking about here is, is hyperbole. It's an insane situation that it, this mulberry tree is not going to pick itself up and go be planted in the water. What he's saying is it doesn't take much faith to see God at work. It doesn't take much. You don't need to have this overwhelming gift of faith that's been poured out on you you just need to trust that God is who He says He is and that He will do what He will say that He will do. And if you have a minuscule amount of it, watch what He does. It's meant to bring hope and peace and encouragement, right? It's meant to build our faith that we would see it grow in that. It's saying it's, faith is less something that we possess and more an attitude that we have towards God that we say, I trust Him and He will do what He says He will do. He's not actually telling us to go and plant mulberry trees in the ocean. He's saying, trust that a little bit of faith, a little bit of faith in the right one will do tremendous things. And then, you can imagine, we see the disciples do this, right? A little bit of faith, things start to happen, they start casting out demons, they start doing these tremendous things, and what are the conversations they begin to have? We should sit at the right hand of Jesus. Pride creeps in, right? And so he immediately then tells a story, this parable. And he says, listen, if you have a servant who's doing the work in the field, does the master then say, hey, come on in. I've got a dinner cooked for you. Man, thank you so much for your hard work today. He's like, no. If it's a servant 
He's going to do the work in the field, and then he's going to walk in. He's going to prepare the meal. The master's going to sit and eat, and then afterwards he'll eat. And he's not waiting for a thank you. He's, he's showing the dynamics that they would have seen and understood in this culture. What is he reminding us of here? To watch our attitude. That as we do incredible things in faith, that it is not you somehow entitling yourself or creating, God does not owe you a debt of thanks and gratitude. You are being dutiful and obedient and faithful to what has already been asked of you. He's already called us to this. He's not somehow now in our debt or owing us. Here's how this can work out. Years ago, when Carmen and I were, um, we, we were struggling with, with infertility, we were talking adoption, those sort of things. Um, month after month, when, when things weren't moving on either front, it, on, on a bad month, here's what it looked like for me. Hey, God, can I remind you a few things? I'm planting a church. I'm opening up my home. I'm giving, and I started a list of all the things that I'm doing. And here's, here's what I, I knew enough not to say it, but here's what my heart was saying. You can't throw me a bone. You can't give me what I want and what I need because look at all that I'm doing for you. That is despairable. What Jesus is reminding us is he does not owe us anything. When we are faithful and obedient, we don't jump over and go, now God, what do I get for it? You did what you were asked to do. You were obedient and you were faithful and you did what was expected and asked of you, right? This, it's like a child doing exactly what you've asked them and saying, now do I get a cookie, right? Now do I get a bonus? Like, now do I, and you're like, no. That's just what you do to be a part of the family. And he's reminding us, watch our hearts and watch our attitudes here. That There is free, unmerited grace that is poured out on us we were unworthy of it. We received it anyway. And God does not owe us. Listen to how Paul will write this in Romans. Chapter 11, verse 35. Who has given a gift to him, meaning God, that he might be repaid? God is not in our debt. So we do out of, out of obedience and we do it out of delight. But we do not do it because it somehow hurries God's favor to give us what we want. And so, what does it look like to be a disciple in these ten verses? That we were on guard against false teachers and brothers and sisters who would go astray, watching our own life and doctrine. Right? That we are quick to forgive, and that we are willing to rebuke and receive rebuke when necessary. That we understand that even a little bit of faith, right, can see incredible things happen because it's God who's doing it, not our hand at work. And then that our attitude is humility and gratitude for the work that God is doing in and through us because He is at work and we are simply being faithful and obedient. So we have to ask ourselves, is this what our life looks like? Do we look like a disciple if we were looking at 17, 1 through 10? If we are, then we say, okay, God, thank you. I, I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. If we're not, then like John has called us to and Jesus has called us to, we repent. 
Say, I don't want to be on this path anymore, God. I want to be following you and trusting you and depending on you. And if I've only gotten by based on my knowledge and my assumption of my faith, and I repent of that because I need you, your life, your death, your resurrection. And if we are walking this hard path of the already but not yet, would we be reminded this morning that we have been equipped by the Spirit of God? We are not alone because Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus has beaten sin and Satan death. He is alive today to hear your prayers, to give you what you need, to guide you. He is alive, and we need that resurrection power. And He's at work in and through us for His glory and for our good, that we would be faithful disciples. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect on your word this morning, Lord, we humbly and maybe even with a little bit of trepidation ask for you to reveal to us if there's someone we need to go ask forgiveness. God, that you would search us and try us, and if there is a broken relationship where we need to offer forgiveness, God, that we would do it. If there's a broken relationship because we need to ask for forgiveness and repent, God, that we would do it. That we would not let awkwardness or uncomfortability or pride get in the way of those things, but that we would be your faithful disciples with an attitude of humility and of obedience, of wanting to delight and enjoy and obey you. So, Father, work, search us and try us, our hearts and our minds and our actions and our mouths and our words and our our lifestyles, God, that we would please you. Lord, thank you that you bring discipline to those you love. Lord, give us humble hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen.